You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Volodymyr Koman. He's a postdoc at MIT in Boston. We're talking about uh, cell-sized robots that can sense their environment, which sounds pretty cool. So, uh, Volodymyr, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Richard. I'm really excited to share about this about this field that we are inventing, that we are working on. Yeah, is there a name? Is it you know, nano machines, or uh, what? What would be the name of uh, these this size of uh, robot, or they just cell size? Right. So um, it gets into the philosophy, right? What is what is the robot, and what? And there were a lot of actually works around that some people just calling their swimming nanoparticles being a robot. Um, but we really want to differentiate from those, and we call ourselves our machines as colloidal state machines so colloidal is because they are they 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 form a stable solution and state machine is actually a concept which is a prototype of the robot so it's like a very simple robot which has a several states on board and this is really different because we have uh, we have our state machines doing computations on on board on board of the particle rather than Having you know these um, many puppets that are floating inside the solution and are controlled by some eye in the sky uh, type of uh, machinery. Okay, so um, what is the average size of a uh, you know of a human cell, and what what are the average size of the robots? Are they literally the same size, or are they just within the ballpark, within an order of magnitude? Yeah, they are literally the same size. Um, so so the cells are from the 10 to 100 microns. And our robots are, again, we started from 100 microns, and now we are scaling it down to, to 50 to 10 microns. So it's it's mm-hmm. really the same. And we actually are, you know, drawing the inspiration from the from the cells, because I myself is an engineer, and as we were building smaller and smaller machines, working with nanotechnology, we, we, we were really fascinated by nature, right, and by, by the things that nature does. And we saw that even by our latest advances, advances we cannot actually uh, beat nature. And so that's where we started 
to have these questions. Can we actually think uh, similarly to nature? Can we have these kind of small uh, machines that are the size of the cells and um, then we will take it uh, from there you know there are because there are different cells in, in, in nature right some some of them form tissues and of course this is one of the goals that we have is to form bigger and bigger structures but the other the other way is you have some uh, some cells that are actually swimming in your bloodstream right and they are controlling something so uh, this is the initial um points the initial direction that we are taking with our state machines that are mimicking these kind of cells. Do you, um, you know, through your experimentation, do you believe that um, cells are a sweet spot in terms of size? You know, we, I think we all know and respect nature that it's very smart. So again, mm-hmm. do you think that that uh, 50 to 100 microns or sorry, 10 to, 10 to 50 micron size range, does that appear to be a sweet spot in terms of functionality? Or do you want to keep pushing and going smaller and smaller? Yeah, we want to uh, get it pushing and go smaller and smaller. But currently, it's a sweet spot. Then it has to do with some insights that we discovered, you know, in in this field. And actually, uh, if you look at this uh, field of uh, micro robotics and the fields of our state machine, this micrometer size. Um, you have two two different industries that we discovered are not actually talking to each other. One is is electronics. So currently you can do uh, very very small uh, electronic parts, and for example, your phone, your car has integrated circuits that are much smaller than cells, right? But then uh, the problem that you cannot make these kind of uh, circuits being autonomous at the size of micro scale is because of the power. Um, so they they become very energy thirsty and you, your your battery becomes really really big um and on the other hand you have this field of of colloidal particles so a lot of people are familiar with with works in a drug release and therapeutics where you have these capsules um that are uh, being releasing some things in into our body and uh, this this is done not by electronics well, the smaller part of it is not done by electronics, but actually by material properties of of these uh, micro and nanoparticles. And and uh, the, these turns out this field it turns out to be very very efficient, and they scale can scale very very well. But the problem is that um, they they are very limited in their functions, right? If I want to build in electronics, if I want to scale electronics to hundreds and millions of transistors, I can easily do it by just repeating them. Um, I cannot like add the functionality to my uh, particle, uh, material science particle, that it would have some modular uh, structure. And so the, it turns out there is a trade-off between the materials and electronics. And what we are doing now, we are merging these two. And it turns out that the, these size of micrometer scale is is actually a sweet spot for now where we can use some electronic components and then in our state machines and then also take advantage of some material science approaches uh the borrowing them from drug delivery uh, and uh, personalized medicine medicine approaches and we we can combine okay. all of this at the mi- micro scale yeah so what's the the structure of one of your typical um you know, cell size machines. I know we're talking about it instead of showing pictures, but can you yeah. try to describe it? 
what the structure looks like generally. Yeah, definitely. So we have a recent work, and it was really the first publication of uh, this kind of uh, state machines where we, we talk about the modularity and that we want to have a circuit that you can, you know, then later on ex easily expand on. And so our particle has three elements so far. Uh, one is the, is the photo detector, and it, it serves the function as the power generator on, on board of the particle. So if you shine light on the particle, this photodiode absorbs light and then it generates some um, current inside the circuit. The second element is the sensor. We wanted uh, our particle to, to sense the environment. So, uh, and, and the third element is the memory. So we figure out that one, one uh, element that is really hard to do with current material science works is, is the memory. So what our particle is doing is that it swims in the environment, it, you, you shine light on it, and it uh, charges up. And then when it uh, has when it encounters certain um, chemicals that are analyte, um, it will store the information about this analyte into the memory on onboard memory, and later on we can retrieve this particle and read what what is happening on board. Oh, so okay. So how would these be put into the body by uh, injection, and then they'd have to be pulled out by filtering the blood, or how do they go in and out? Well, yeah, body is one direction, you know, uh, which everybody is talking about. But we realize that there are a lot of um, a lot of other directions. I would like just to highlight a few. Like one, one is really the problem of of going to some really inaccessible places that have very high temperature, for example, or high pressure, like biochemical reactors, um, and then the other. Uh, systems are these extended pipelines where you have leaks you know you have to inject um, these particles there and actually nobody people have these problems but nobody think is thinking about the solution because there is no no solution no alternative um, nowadays or in terms of the body well we view body as the this kind of enclosed uh, system so yeah you you we can inject inject them into the body First direction that we are working is is our digestive tract because it's sort of a little bit bigger. Uh, for the bloodstream, you need around 10 microns particles. Um, and so, as you inject them uh, into the digestive tract, you can actually later on just simply excrete them and read out the information. Uh, so this is like the initial vision, but later on we want to have a network of these particles and so that they can communicate between each other and also communicate to some we call it eye in the sky so so something that is um, outside of the body right so if, if the particles let's say found something they would impl amplify the signal communicate uh, maybe uh, collect several particles together and then they, they send out the signal outside well why not have a passive device let's say um you know, you put it uh, against the carotid artery in your neck, you know, for 30 seconds, and enough of the mm -hmm. particles will flow by by that time that it can get a readout from the particles. You know, maybe now I'd say, um, you know, three or four millimeters away from them physically as they flow by, but maybe that would require a low enough power that you could read them without them having to amplify any signal very much. You know, maybe that's mm -hmm. the way to do it. Yeah, definitely. This is like the first direction. Um, but the ultimate goal is to really 
read out the signals um, down to the sing uh, single cell level. So imagine if you have these kind of small particles, right? They, and they, 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 we are talking about microns, so they can really go cell by cell. And if we have, if we have really hundreds and thousands of them, right? Every particle can go on on a separate cell, and they can they can communicate between each other, and then maybe they can uh, do simple tasks. Um, because it's not only about the communication. We are what what is really different about our particles is is a computational power so um you want to you want to send something then you want to compute as so you have some certain built in program and based on this program based on the outcome you want this particle this machine to to do something and imagine this kind of uh, distributed network of, of these things um it's like internet of cells at the single cell level, we all know the benefits of the internet. That is, it's really made a great connection because you can exchange information very easily, right? Um, different people can talk uh, to each other, which they are very uh, far away. And so, imagine if you have these kind of uh, also signals going between cells, between tissues, and we are not limited by wires now, right? We have very different to uh, topologies. Of, of of things happening inside our bodies and so on. So this is like our ultimate vision. It seems like it's going to be very important to get the right morphology, you know, the right shape of these machines. You know, again, following nature, nature doesn't make squares or rectangles really. It makes, uh, you know, round disc or donut or spherical type stuff. Um, from, what they, from what it sounds like, these are like chips, you know, little yeah. square or rectangle chips. So Will you have to round the corners? Will you try to make them enough. try to make them shape like cells? <laughs> yeah, interestingly enough, as you go smaller, you know, everything becomes softer. And so it's like mm. if if you have very thin even layer of metal, um, it, it it becomes bendable. And so um, yeah, our current solution is electronics on top of this uh, polymer substrate, so it's really bendable already. But uh, we, as we scale down, we don't really. This won't be a, really a drawback because everything will become softer and softer, and the circuits um, will become more bendable and bendable. Um, yeah. So, so, so this this will be good. Um, and as we will be gaining from this, is that we can also, you know. Uh, change the shape of, of these and actuate them so maybe as they tra travel to the to the uh point of interest they travel as the tube that is uh rounded and then as they uh, arrive they would open up into like a flowers open up uh, they will roll up and they will take much bigger area so that the signals will be much easily being picked up and so on but i i think the main message is that uh, what we are learning now is that these machines will look very different from from our current machines and also from from uh, our cells um, because many people, what many people don't realize is that, and if you like, you know, you Google, you Google the machine or nano robot or something in, in your Google search, what you will see is, is this ugly needles, um, um, machines where people will just take, uh, scale the machines down, whatever you see in their real macro world, they, they scale them down and just put it in the bloodstream. But it turns out what we are learning is that uh, the scaling rules, the, the, these interactions are 
have re really different scattering rules uh, in terms of size. So uh, certain interaction and certain forces at the macro scale and nano scale uh, will have very different impacts. For example, if you want to attach uh, something at, at the macro scale, right, you need to have a glue or you need to have a Velcro uh, or you need to have a zipper. At the, at the micro and nano scale, everything is very, very sticky. So a lot of materials just stick to each other just because of the uh, so-called Van der Waals interaction, right? And then you have very opposite problem, how to make things unsticky at the micro scale and so on. And so like these robots will, 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 will look very differently. Surely we will take some things from nature because nature does it very well. Um, but then... Um, we want to exp expand these things to very other other different applications, right? So we will we will need to have uh, creativity and really new ideas, uh, new generation of scientists who are working and thinking about these uh, state machines and really this robotics at the, at this micro scale and nano scale. So this is really exciting. Yeah, that's really interesting. What um what size would they need to be to navigate the bloodstream? and then to go into the interstitial fluid between cells, and then maybe even to go into the cells themselves to get through the membrane. Right, right. Um, it turns out, you know, uh, where where we started, we started with, uh, we were initially developing in nanosensors. So these are very simple uh, microparticles that actually go, go inside the cells and even inside the organelles. And what they do, they have only one one mission. They they sense and they report signal out. So you shine the laser on them and they report signal out. Um, and, and from there we had this vision: Oh, why can we do something else? And that's how we came up with the state machine thing. State machine not only senses but it computes and, and actuates. And so there there are already some ideas on how to go inside the cells and how to go into organelles. Uh, it, the question really to the field now is to how to how to get these uh, components in place and together um, that uh, that would perform at this scale, right? Because um, there there were many failures, and um, we 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 need really new solutions and new approaches because it's not like so much easier that you just go into the into the store and you just buy these components. Um, what we Figuring out that is that you cannot really have multiple functions or multiple elements at this scale, uh, so you have to be sort of uh, very creative. And one direction that we are working in is called uh, distributed networks. So this is very similar from the computer engineering. Um, and what happens here is that we are asking the question of what kind of minimal function can one particle have so that multiple particles, when coming together and following the array or array of same rules, will have much more complex behavior. So it's 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 a concept that is called emergent behavior com concept, and you can see this in nature, for example, in ants. You know, right? When when they ants, they are following very simple rules, but then when they need to do something, they can form these kind of bridges. They can sacrifice. Uh, one for all for the whole for the whole colony and so on and so the question here is uh, we are trying to bring this also in, into this field is like what would be the minimal function of one particle so that we, uh, the collection of these particles can can do even greater things and so on
What about um, immune response? You know, if you get down to a certain size, are you more susceptible or less susceptible to, uh, you know, a body's immune response? Um, so this problem is, a, it, it really depends on the, the body reacts on, on the antibodies uh, that is present on the surface of these particles. And it was, re it is really worked out by, by these uh, material approaches where people do particles right that is traveling traveling inside the bloodstream um so the biocompatibility part is is really being worked out and being worked out now by by a lot of people that are doing this uh, small drug delivery system so we we hope to collaborate and to work with them on on this thing but it's uh, i don't think it will be a bottleneck at this point what about uh, quantum effects uh, once you scale down to a certain size, when you you know experience a lot of electron tunneling or other things that could confound the machine? Yeah, that would be very very nice, pleasant things to work in. You know, uh, it would <laughs> mean that we would scale really really down uh, our electronics and that we would have to worry about this. Um, right now, it's really about the energy efficiency. Um, is it, it, it you you cannot dice your the, the the your your phone and send it inside the body and because it won't the electronics there it won't simply work just because it's you need most of your phone is your battery right most of the electrical vehicle is its battery and uh, so that's that's where we are now we are we are really battling with this energy thirsty electronics and so going into lower scale would would be would be very very cool. Um, Actually, why don't you? Uh, I don't know. This is a, a stretch. But, <laughs> I mean, all the cells in the body use glucose. Yeah. You know, for energy, they use it. You know, through the electron electron transport chain. Is it yeah. possible you could have an onboard module that uses um, you know glucose? So it yeah. takes the fuel that the body gets anyway, and you know that's its fuel source. Yeah. Exactly. Well. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. Actually, we are it's a spoiler, but we are working on this now. So we are working on a number of um, modules, right, that would go on board of this our colloidal state machine. And one of these is 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 battery that is hard powered by by the solution and by the glucose and some other things. But this is a very nice concept, right? Is that in in the bloodstream, actually anywhere, even in water. Um, there, there are solutions, and uh, th there are solutions being worked out how you can draw energy from from from, from the environment. And actually, the, the, now this question is being flipped up because basically your particle doesn't need to carry any energy inside of it because it swims in a bath of energy basically, and you just need to find a way how to harvest it, right, and how to um, uh, Perform different functions about this uh, using this power. So uh, we are we are thinking about this in kind of tires. Uh, so where you have a particle that is uh, continuously sensing the environment, right? It needs to be done, let's say, every one second. But it's really energy and ener low energy uh, requirements. But then sometimes you need the particle. Uh, sometimes you need to have the signal being sent out to the to the sensor that, like you said, is being placed at your neck four millimeters away, but this is this requires much more energy, right? 
but what what our particle can do it can harvest 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 maybe one two three hours right accumulate the energy and then we'll send the information in one burst and then again it's empty it harvests harvests energy and again sends the information in one burst there's all kinds of uh chemical yeah. gradients yeah and other yeah, gradients but, inside the body um, yeah so those you know probably could be harvested yes exactly yeah that's what we are thinking about it was really interesting. You got a lot of work ahead of you, but at least it's interesting work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are really excited about this. Um, um, the vision is great, you know. Um, robotics is really something that will stay stay with us for the next uh, five and ten and, and so on years. And and we believe uh, things that won't change, right? Is that the things that we are we need to work on, and like. After 10 years, people will be asking, where where are these smaller and smaller robots? And so that's what we are working uh, working and pushing the boundary on. And, uh, of course, uh, swimming, like we call these autonomous probes, is, is one direction where we're going, um, going into the bloodstream and so on. But really, the other direction is to assemble these, uh, these probes into the tissues, right? And artificial tissues. And... Having something that that will operate like a like an arm, like a muscle, and so on. Because if you look now on the robots, um, people people uh, try to do them uh, very similar to well, basically it's called centralized architecture, where you have some kind of actuator, and then you have a wires connected to this, and then you have a computer, right? And so whenever you're actuator senses something the the signal goes through the wires into the computer computer computes and then the the signal goes back into the actuator and then this actuator reacts in certain ways um if you look at nature it it operates in a completely different way right your your cells and your tissues have certain computation power in place and only certain things are uh, being transferred through neurons into the body but a lot of things are being just reacted uh, uh, at place at the, at the at the at the surface of your skin and so what what we are also working on is is uh, called the robotic materials concept and so it's a concept of making these materials these cells into the tissues where every cell would make certain computation at at its own place and only some crude big signal that needs to go into the uh, let's say central nervous system needs to go go there but this will tremendously offload and will use these materials that are now just dumb actuators now they will be smart actuators where you will have a lot of functions and a lot of things um, being built in this and it turns out that this kind of architecture offsets you know your power requirements it offsets your size requirements and so we are talking about this even older macro robots um, being more much more energy efficient be, being much more size efficient and so forth so this is another vision that we are uh, having in mind so what's your timeline and what's your plan moving forward like are you going to be able to get some of these devices to test in mice in the next few years or how long is yeah. your timeline and what do you what are your milestones yeah so so uh we we are now expanding several capabilities so our most immediate milestone is to have these uh, power harvesting 
and integrating multiple bits of memory into the particles and really having this tested into the mice and, and even pigs uh, to really have, let's say, uh, the profile of your digestive tract um, in terms of the pH or or in terms of the blood content because one one big problem that we see now is is internal bleeding in the digestive tract and it's very very hard to diagnose and but it has very immediate implications so the doctor uh, nowadays cannot really if if you come with a stomach ache to the doctor uh, but he cannot uh, put your diagnosis, uh, whether you have external internal bleeding or not. So this is one problem that we are we we are currently want to think about, and we we will be sending um, probes in inside the animals maybe within a few years, and and within the five years I, we hope to really have multiple sensors and to explore other directions of of, of these probes like like building tissues. Um, yeah, I would think it would be really important, though, that you don't leave sensors behind, because they could certainly accumulate over the lifetime of a creature. So I would think yeah. some kind of recall function and cleanup function would be right. super important. So you don't leave that debris. Yeah. So we are working on this, um, and we have ideas there. Like, well, if you are talking about digestive tract, um, we are working on the ways how to really image these particles so make sure that nobody nobody stays behind but uh, when you think about digestive tract they will you they will be just excreted so when you go to the toilet um you you can just uh, these particles will just fall out there and um, the other way is to have uh, biodegradable particles and we we have ideas there and there are there are fields that are working on biodegradable uh, materials. So let's say we we can have particles that go into the digestive tract, operates there for several days, and then it basically dissolves itself. Okay. Well, I guess in the future you'll be able to say, "I lost my phone," and you'll be able to joke and say, "How would you lose your phone? It's inside of you." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. The bad nano nano machine joke, you know, of the future. So. <laughs> um, we are very cognitive about this problem, and we are very cautious about this thing putting something inside the body. So. Uh, really putting a lot of thoughts about this, and like I said, maybe the first trials will be going into the pipelines and in industry, because also that there is a big problem and there is a big need there. If if you have, let's say, have a leaking pipeline, right, over thousands of miles, what people are currently doing is they have to manually uh, drive their their car and inspect every mile of of their pipeline or fly a drone to. The, in the best case, um, we hope to send these particles down down the pipeline, and you know, then you at the other end you you capture them and you read out basically the position at which there was there was a leak or there was a pickup of of some analyzed signal. Um, so the, the, these are the other directions and less sensitive, let's say, directions uh, where we can test build build our uh, platform and then go inside the human body. Well, very good. Well, yeah. Volodymyr, thanks for coming. Um, what's the best way for people to see your work, pictures of it, and read papers, and you know maybe to interact with you? How can they get in touch? Well, my my email can be found online, um, and we have uh, MIT featured uh, 
the, the feature, the story about our work. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, I don't know what what's the usual ways people get contacted in this way. Okay, well, you know, people can Google you, but uh, yeah, I think that what the president of Ukraine is Volodymyr or something, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I googled uh, Volodymyr cell-sized machine, and yeah. that came up with the MIT article, and and from there they can find you, or they could probably go to the MIT website. Yeah, those are yeah. some of the the good ways. Yeah, these are definitely good ways. Okay, well, thanks for coming, Volodymyr. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much for the conversation. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Thank you.